0: Welcome to Health Chat, a monthly podcast for your health and about your health. I'm Andy Friedman, I'm a licensed social worker and certified cognitive behavioral therapist, and my co-host is? Dr. Alyssa Handler, I'm a board certified internal medicine doctor. Well, today we have a very special health chat because today we're gonna talk about cardiovascular disease and prevention. And so, Dr. Handler, I wanna ask you starting out, Um, What is cardiovascular disease? Tell
1: us about the cardiovascular system. Okay, so I'm so glad you asked that question because a lot of people don't really know what we're talking about when we're talking about cardiovascular health. Most people think it's just about heart attacks when we're really talking about any disease that can affect the blood vessels in our body, which includes strokes, kidney disease, you know, diseases in your legs, that's called peripheral vascular disease. Um, And for women, we're more, more often at risk for strokes than we are for heart attacks. Oh, that's interesting. And a lot of the risk scores that we as physicians are looking at when we calculate people's risk scores for cardiovascular disease, we're looking at both heart attacks, which are blockages in the arteries around the heart, um, as well as stroke risk, which is a blockage in the arteries of your brain. Oh, so that's so interesting, because people think heart attacks are a a
0: heart issue and strokes are a brain issue, but really they're, they're just different parts of the body that are affected by cardiovascular disease.
1: Right, so we're really looking to modify all all of these diseases. And it ends up that a lot of the same treatments we're giving for, let's say, high blood pressure and cholesterol use and aspirin use, we're really looking to modify the stroke and heart attack risks in both men and women. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about what those risk factors are? Great. So when we talk about risk factors, we're talking about some of them we can modify or do something about, and some of them we can't do anything about. The ones that are unmodifiable are non-modifiable are our age. Obviously, we can't do anything about our age, or our genetics. Those are the, the um, things we inherited from our parents. So the likelihood that we could have a heart attack or a stroke, there, there is some genetic predisposition. However, mm. it's interesting that the, the cardiovascular risk scores that we do do not actually include our family history or genetic component. Now, that might change huh. in the future yeah. when we have genetic analysis and, uh-huh. you know, these things are going to change. But the best shot we have right now to calculate our risk is based on a risk score that only includes your age, your blood pressure scores, your cholesterol scores, whether or not you smoke and whether or not you have diabetes. And there are other uh, risk factors. So we mentioned smoking. There's cholesterol. There's blood pressure. There's diabetes. Weight and nutrition. Okay. And there's stress. And my favorite uh-huh. thing to talk about is alcohol. Alcohol. And I'm, and I'm going to go into a lot of reasons why alcohol is actually a major risk in cardiovascular disease. Oh, that is so interesting because you don't really think about
0: alcohol. You maybe think about it in terms of your liver or something like that or... Or addiction, but not in terms of cardiovascular disease. That's very interesting. So, um, well, let's let's go down the list and talk a little bit about. It. Now, I think a lot of people know that high blood pressure is a risk. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about what you know? What level of blood pressure is risky, and sure. and why that's uh, could be a risk factor?
1: Okay, so there's actually studied guidelines in terms of what is considered a high blood pressure. And that continues to change every couple years when they have large meetings about what's a normal blood pressure and they do lots of studies on what uh, numbers actually uh, increase your risk for heart disease and stroke. And yeah, this
0: is Science Man. So when more new information becomes available or more techniques become available, we may have to adjust you know, what we right. know about the disease. so
1: and, and so that's why every maybe two or three years, there are large conferences that actually have meetings about this, and then they publish the the guidelines that we as physicians actually follow. And the current guideline for what is considered a high blood pressure is for people under 75 years old, and that's important, and I'll talk about why that is in a second. Okay, all um, right. Under 75 years old, a normal blood pressure is definitely under 140 over 90, but actually probably more so under 130 over 80. So would you say that that range between 130 and 140 um, for the, is that the, the systolic? Right. So the top number is the systolic blood pressure, which is the pressure that your heart is pushing against. And the bottom blood pressure is the diastolic blood pressure, which is the resting pressure in your arteries when your heart is relaxed.
0: I see. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, thank you for explaining that. Um, so, would you say that that range you talked about between of uh, uh, systolic uh, blood pressure between 130 and 140 is like a pre,
1: Yes, high that's blood pressure or correct. So that's actually considered stage one hypertension. There's different stages oh, of blood okay. pressure, and I didn't write down all of that because it's not that interesting to okay. talk about. But <laughs> okay. um, but a normal blood pressure is actually closer to 120 over 70. I see. And so we do aim for that when we're on treatment. However, there are different there's categories of people that should not have too low of a blood pressure and that's people over 75. And the guideline for them is really closer to the 150 over 80 range and that's because if you lower an older person's blood pressure a, a little too much there might be times where they could be a little lower on their hydration, or they stand up too quickly, Um, they can't recover as much uh, as quickly, and they can pass out or lose their balance and fall. And so fall, we worry about falls in older people, especially over 75. So we don't want those people to have too low of a blood pressure. And so the guidelines are a little less stringent for that category of people. Um, But if you're somebody under 75, which is a lot of us, uh, (laughs) then you do want to make sure your blood pressure is well under the 140 over 90 range. And it's really important that you have your blood pressure checked at least yearly by a a physician or at a clinic somewhere. But usually people see their doctor maybe about once a year or they have the opportunity to have their blood pressure checked, say, at your health fair or um, Just at the CVS. Yeah. So go, <laughs> yeah. Although there's, there's, they may not be as, as accurate because it's not a person actually listening uh, to the sounds that you're listening for to hear the blood pressure. So machines are sometimes not very accurate. When you buy, uh, although I do recommend if we're following someone's blood pressure, that you buy your own digital arm cuff from a pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can get that from, uh, the generic ones are fine. You don't need a branded one. And the ones that that strap over your arm and you press a button, those are actually very accurate. Oh, okay. That's good to know. We do have one of those at home. Yes. Um, So what else? So
0: blood pressure being a big one. uh, What's another really important one we should look out for?
1: So we definitely would like people not to smoke. Smoking is a is the worst thing you can do for your cardiovascular health. It, it augments all the inflammation in your blood vessels. It is is a very potent way to have a heart attack or a stroke.
0: So once again, we think of smoking as bad for the lungs, but it's bad for a
1: lot of things. Exactly, exactly. And so people tell me that, oh, well, I'm going to continue to smoke because no one in my family had lung cancer or cancer, which is also a big problem. However, it really augments the cardiovascular risk. So I'm really trying not to let people have heart attack or strokes Because once that damage is done, that's a done deal. You can't do anything Ah, about it. So what we're really talking about is primary prevention or prevention of these events. Um, Because once you have an event, you're in a totally different category. We're not talking about people who already have had an event. And all those people should already be on aspirin. So it sort of gets into questions that you might want to ask me like, well, what's the deal about aspirin? Right. right? Yeah, I definitely want to ask you that question. Yes, you know, aspirin is very is controversial because it can make you bleed. So you want to be careful about who you're asking to take an aspirin, and and that plays into this cardiovascular risk score, which I think I might have mentioned a little bit. Yeah, talk a little bit
0: about how they calculate that risk score, because um, I think that will give people a lot of good information to know really what their cardiovascular risk
1: of uh, disease risk is. So there's something called the AHA or American Heart Association Calculator, AHA Calculator, which is the American, and also comes from the American College of Cardiology, which is the ACC and the AHA, American Heart Association Calculator. And that came about in 2013, that there's actually structured data, and this is well studied now, and this is the calculator that we're all using since 2013 uh, to input people's Risk and the, the only thing that goes into that calculator uh, is your age, your top and bottom blood pressure, the systolic, diastolic blood pressure, uh, your cholesterol scores, which we can talk about in a little bit about yep. what is a cholesterol score, what one is important, and your whether or not you smoke and whether or not you have diabetes. Okay, so that is really it. It does not. Factor in your family history again, which is something maybe in the future that will come up with as, better as the genetics gets better, better predictor yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So that, what, that's what plays into the risk score. and that's the same risk score we use to calculate whether someone would benefit from aspirin. So the risk score tells us whether someone will benefit from a statin drug, which is like a Lipitor, Um, if the risk score is 7.5% or greater. And this is only for people ages 40 to 79, just by the way. This is not pertinent to anyone under 40 or over 79. They're not in this this group of people that would benefit. So we're looking to see who would benefit from taking a statin. And then for the aspirin risk, uh, I believe for women, it has to be 10% or greater. And for men, uh, similar nature in those number, that percentage cutoff will tell us, the the calculator tells us if someone's gonna benefit from a statin or from an aspirin or both. Yeah. If their risk is high enough.
0: Oh, so some people might even be on both. Correct, if their
1: risk score is high.
0: So would that be because, because when I think of Lipitor, I think of a cholesterol level. And so you talked a little bit about that goes in, that that level goes into the uh, score. But can you talk about how that is, how you decide what that level is or what that risk level is for cholesterol specifically?
1: Okay, so... The question sounds like you want to know what numbers for cholesterol are yes, important. Thank right. you. Oh, I love talking about that. So a lot of people say, Dr. Handler, my total cholesterol is 210. Oh, my gosh, that must be terrible because people know the cutoff is 200. Right. Well, that's not telling you the whole story because oh. there's actually four numbers that we look at. The four numbers are, are the total, but that's not the most important one. Then there's the LDL, or the low-density lipoprotein score, which is the bad cholesterol. Ooh, bad and cholesterol. And they're bad because they're those are the large molecules that clog up your arteries. That's how I think about that. They're the sticky ones. Those are the big, big, <laughs> yeah. those are the ones that are going to build up and cause plaques, and those are the ones that can cause heart attacks and strokes. So that's the LDL. There's also your HDL, which is your good cholesterol, the high-density lipoprotein molecule, which is a smaller molecule. I think of it as the vacuum molecule. It actually sucks up all the bad cholesterol. Really? And it it goes and it like sucks up. So the more HDL you have, the better off you are because it's sucking up all the bad. That's how I think about it. That's
0: great to know. That's really interesting. So it's not like, oh, cholesterol is bad. I know that we went through a whole... In the 70s and 80s, a whole like bad cholesterol was bad,
1: and people stopped
0: eating eggs, and you
1: know, and mm-hmm. went crazy. <laughs> yeah, because not all fats are bad. In fact, we yeah. know that we do need fat to have a healthy body. Uh, there, there are reasons for that. It, it, it makes certain things in our body that we need. Th- certain things to metabolize our foods. We need fats around. And so there's different types of fats. The other fat that's bad is the triglyceride fat. Uh, so yes. the triglyceride, the TGs, the tri- yeah. those that's the other number that we look at. Although it doesn't play into the calculator, it is important to look at that because when it's over a certain number, like over 300 or over 500 that can cause other things in your body to happen like inflamed pancreas can also increase your cardiovascular risk although it doesn't play into the calculation uh for aspirin for aspirin for anything yeah for for, aspirin or or statins yeah Yeah. although both uh, so so there's unfortunately not a great drug to treat just the just the triglycerides. Right. But what plays into that is actually how you're eating and yes. your weight diet diet, and alcohol. And alcohol. I'm going to talk about We're getting there. We're getting I am going to talk about alcohol because that <laughs> is because yes, I really want to ta- I
0: really do want to get into the alcohol. <laughs> and I think that will be really um, important to our listeners to talk about that. But I do before so we talk. Okay, so you're saying that weight and and activity level and diet are really crucial, mm-hmm. but um, which leads me to the next risk factor, which was diabetes. So talk a little bit about how diabetes plays into this whole okay. thing. So blood sugar, I guess. Is that right?
1: or That is true. Okay, okay. so diabetes is when you're either don't make insulin, which lowers your blood sugar, that's type one, when you don't make insulin from your pancreas, or your body can't uh, metabolize the sugar because you have a resistance to your insulin. Mm which means you probably have some fat around your middle, and that creates this resistant state to your insulin. So it can't see or can't get that sugar inside the cell. So it, it actually, then you have high insulin levels usually when you have type 2 diabetes. Although there's there's a lot of crossover, and it's a little murky for some people about which type they actually have. But to just be black and white about it, there's there's type 1 and type 2. But Yeah, there's we can lots, talk. We'll have another. You know, another, that's complicated.
0: We'll have another health chat just yeah. on diabetes. Yeah. I think we
1: could. Absolutely. Yeah. So 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 it's not good to have sugar around floating around in your system because what that does, it also inflames the arteries. I okay. see. Okay. And it and it creates a state of inflammation in your arteries and and also can lead to heart attacks and strokes, which is why diabetics are very very high in terms of their risk for a heart attack and stroke and so we manage those people as if they've already had a heart attack or a stroke and we're trying to prevent the next one so we call it a cardiac equivalent risk factor that they've that they've already had their heart attack we're trying to prevent another one even if they've never had one that's how bad diabetes is and all diabetics need to have their blood pressures very low they need to have their cholesterol very low uh, they need to be on a statin and they need to be on an aspirin. So I think like we can take those out of the equation right now because we're not talking about uh, secondary uh, prevention because that's what we're really talking about these other groups of people who are not diabetics right. of who who of those people should be paying more attention to their risk factors for heart right. disease or okay. or stroke. Okay. Um, and any other risk factors that we should talk about before
0: we get to alcohol, which is which is the surprise biggie here.
1: So I just wanted to also mention the lifetime lifetime risk statistic for men and women, because I think I meant to define that initially uh, in terms of how many people are actually at risk for the disease we're talking about. And in healthy men at 40, their lifetime risk for cardiovascular disease is 49%. So that means
0: almost half of men who are healthy at 40 years old going forward will have a heart attack.
1: Correct. Wow. So that's that's a big, big number. And at that's women, for us women at 40, it's 30 per, 32% of us, so about one-third third of women are also have a, that's our lifetime risk for heart disease. So this is way higher than any cancer risk. So when people tell me they're worried about this cancer, that cancer, and they're not really worried about their heart, or their cardiovascular health. I think we need to rethink that in we terms need to of what we restructure we're, yeah. that thinking,
0: as we would say in my profession. <laughs>
1: right, but you know, everybody has what they're worried about. I do my best to address people's concerns. Yeah, that of this, course. This is a big topic, which is why it's taking us a while to cover it today.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that um, it deserves um, a big chat. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And I just want to say that most of my information. I obtain from something called UpToDate, which is a hmm. it's a web it's a web based uh, site that we refer to, and we can get up to date information on what's the most accurate evidence-based guidelines that we're supposed to be following as physicians. And I know that uh, some physicians actually refer their patients to these websites. It can be very technical. Right, then. Even yeah. for a physician myself, yeah. it's hard to analyze the, the information that's coming out. But it will give you uh, the up-to-date, accurate information. And so I am using standard evidence-based guidelines when I give my, my, uh, my advice here today and in my office as well.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, and that's what health chats all about is so that you can help us, uh, us lay people understand um, the most up to date, as you say, evidence based information and put it to use to improve our health. Um, okay, so let's talk about alcohol. Now, uh, for better or for worse, I, I don't know if our listeners are going to be really happy about this, but it's really information that they need to know so they can make the best decisions. So Absolutely. So tell us about how alcohol plays in to heart disease, to cardiovascular disease.
1: Okay, so I believe that most people will not keep track of how much alcohol they're using. And when I ask people how much they're drinking, they really aren't really paying attention to it until I ask them to pay attention to it. So uh, a drink of alcohol should be defined. So when I say alcohol, some people think I'm only talking about hard liquor. And they say, oh, no, Dr. Handler, I don't drink alcohol, but I have three glasses of wine a day. Okay, (laughs) Right. So I think we also need to define what is a drink of alcohol.
0: Excellent. Okay. Yes.
1: So a drink of alcohol is if you're drinking wine, that's white or red, doesn't matter. Five ounces is one drink, and that's a pretty small glass. If you measure that, that is a small pour. If you get that in a restaurant, you kind of think you're being gypped. gypped. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So you need to be aware of what in actu- what you're actually drinking, and everyone's glass is different sizes, but it's really a pretty small glass of wine, five ounces. A beer, of course, is 12 ounces. Most people know most bottles are coming as 12 ounces. That's pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah. And then for, for liquor... It's one point five oh, ounces. 1. 5. Uh-huh. Yeah, one point yeah. five ounces, and that's probably you know standard shot glass size. And most people are not measuring their mixed drinks when they're doing pouring them themselves. They sort of poured in, so right. it could be easily two drinks right there right. when they're pouring right. their drink. That's
0: right. That's right. Just just for reference, a cup is eight ounces. So five ounces is less than a cup,
1: <laughs> just so you know. Correct, <laughs> correct. That's that's why it's amazes, it may, amazes me that people don't realize that when they're pouring their glass of wine, it may actually be at least one and a half to two drinks. And when they say they're having their two drinks, it actually could be three or four drinks. I see. And I'll get into also the guidelines for what's considered unhealthy drinking is if men... Under 65 are drinking 14 drinks a week or more. That's considered unhealthy. And for women or anyone over 65 years old, that's seven drinks a week. And if you're a man and you're drinking four drinks on any given day or or greater than, I should say, greater than four drinks on any given day, that is also considered binge drinking. And also if you're a woman and you're drinking greater than three drinks on any given day, that's also unhealthy or binge drinking depending on how many are being drunk.
0: So the problem is not only that we're not good at the knowing what the amount of alcohol we're taking in, but the more alcohol we take in, the less likely we are to even pay attention to how much we're drinking and lose right. track of it. So
1: Right. So it's really important to keep track because when you drink a certain, if you're drinking more than those guidelines, it will elevate your blood pressure. And I just finished telling you how important blood pressure is. That's right. right? Yes. So blood pressure is the most Important thing, other than smoking and diabetes, blood pressure is the one thing that 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 actually skyrockets your risk score more so than more than cholesterol. If you're even if you drink a little bit, it will it will raise your blood pressure. Or more, if you're drinking over this the guidelines that I mentioned, per which is day. over seven yeah. per week for a woman. Mm-hmm and over 14 per week if you're under 65 for a man. If you're drinking more than that, it will definitely raise your blood pressure. It interacts with other drugs we're prescribing. It actually increases your caloric intake because not only is it a calorie in itself, it actually makes you hungrier and makes you eat more. Is that right? People eat more. And if you have diabetes, you really you shouldn't be drinking any alcohol because it's a sugar that you can't metabolize. So I won't even go there. But Not, we'll um, do that on our di- diabetes show. Yeah, we'll talk but about I that later. I just want
0: to reiterate that. Although seven or less drinks a week for a woman is considered safe. Safer. Safer. Yes. safer yeah, I always like but to say safer. that doesn't mean you get to have all your seven drinks on one night. Because no, because like I said, right, three, right. Exactly. if
1: you're drinking more than three in a sitting on any given day, that will also cause harm because our livers can only metabolize a certain amount per hour. And that's going to overwhelm your liver and that will cause more trouble.
0: And I think that different people metabolize it differently, too. And so. that is
1: absolutely true. Yeah. It has to do with how much of an enzyme that you have. And don't ask me what that enzyme is called. I'm blank, blanking out on this enzyme that metabolizes it's your alcohol. It's alcohol dehydrogenase. That is correct. <laughs> there you go. I didn't want to make a mistake. I
0: know because I have, I'm have. i one of those people who doesn't have – there's two There's two of them. First, The first one is like the first line, and the second one is the second line. And I guess I don't have the second one. And <laughs> that's why I cannot – really drink alcohol, but I guess that's good for me that I can't drink alcohol. Right.
1: So you know, so it is it is definitely something that I ask about all the time. These are standard guidelines set up by the NIAAA, which is the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and, and Alcoholism. It is not my own opinion that I say, oh, alcohol is bad, I'm actually quoting standard guidelines. These are studied guidelines that all primary care doctors will ask you about in terms of, right. we're not asking to be nosy, we're right. asking because it actually affects your health. It's a risk factor. Correct.
0: Right. And I just want to reiterate out there that um, Dr. Handler said that seven drinks or less for a woman is safer. safer. But that does not mean it's safe
1: to Correct. drink. <laughs> and let me just tell you that they're actually categories of people who should be dr- drinking a lot less than that yeah. and of course for pregnant women that should be zero. zero right yeah for teens it should be zero, zero right <laughs> so we're really talking about people not pregnant 21 and up you know people who can make decisions well in their life um, the other category of people that should not be drinking alcohol regularly this I'm not sure if you knew this but it, people who are at risk for breast cancer Oh, I so, did not know that. So yes. I always counsel my ladies who are at risk for breast cancer or have had a breast cancer that drinking more than three drinks a week—three drinks—is wow. their cutoff. Yeah, because their studies show that women who drink more than three drinks a week are actually more likely to get breast cancer. Wow!
0: Wow! So I think we need like a whole chat on alcohol and yeah, and, yeah. It's a
1: big topic, but I think those are the key points I definitely wanted to make today. Okay,
0: so obviously you know, reduce your alcohol intake, um, you know,
1: blood pressure, blood pressure, watch
0: your blood pressure really carefully and weight.
1: And those you can see all those are intertwined, right? Because if you're if you're exercising and you're not drinking much alcohol and you're keeping your weight normal that right. your blood pressure should be good right? and your cholesterol should be also very right. good. Right. And if it's not for other reasons like genetic reasons and your risk calculator says that you're at high risk, then we might say you should consider a statin drug and or aspirin depending on what the risk score is. And I also take into consideration the family history and it may be right. that their risk score is okay, but say all your parents had strokes at an early age. That puts you over, yeah. the,
0: over the edge. Then you yeah.
1: really want to consider the statin aspirin yeah. uh, choice that you could make because uh, along with negotiating what's the risk, and that is a discussion that people have to have individually with their own doctors.
0: Yeah, I think we should reiterate that, that you should – any any information that you learn here on Health Chat, you should talk to your own doctor about
1: absolutely Um,
0: before making any big decisions or anything like that absolutely these are
1: just topics to be informed about so that when your physician makes a recommendation you have a sense of where it's coming from
0: okay so we we talked just a little bit okay so that's the preventative piece the preventative piece is just to sum it up uh eat eat better uh be so active. low sodium. Oh, so, and low so, sodium. You know, we right. didn't
1: mention, but we're going to go into probably more about nutrition and obesity. Yes. I know that's your thing. That's my we'll, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, in future talks, we'll yeah. talk a little bit. We'll delve and do a deep dive into nutrition and yes. obesity, and yes. I think we'll save that for our future. I agree.
0: Topics. I agree. But, but I think I guess anything we talk about here on health chat, health chat, we can talk about eat well and exercise a lot and and that's always good so
1: there's a cute little saying that i used to that i do quote actually my son's karate teacher mr spoon oh yes he would say eat right sleep right and exercise and that is so true about many almost everything everything. and i love quoting mr spoon yes
0: (laughs) me too hi mr spoon hi mr spoon
1: (laughs) if you're listening (laughs) (laughs)
0: I actually took karate from Mr. Spoon. Did you really? Yeah, and Eli too, (laughs) my son. Um, Okay, and so we talked about aspirin and we talked about statins. Is there any other medications that people should know about or if their doctor mentions it to them, they should know about?
1: well we did talk a lot a bit about blood pressure and like i said that Uh, is the number one thing we focus on and you really just need to continue to follow up with your doctor to decide if you meet guidelines for treating high blood pressure then of course there's so many choices there i couldn't even go into that today right but that would be a conversation someone would have their with their doctor but it's really important to have a really good blood pressure have good eating habits and and limit alcohol use, like we talked about.
0: Okay, well, I think um, you know, obviously, each one of these little things we talked about, we could do a whole show on. Correct, <laughs> as we mentioned before. But I think we gave uh, a really good overview of cardiovascular disease and what you need to do to to prevent it or at least prolong your life. And um, so, I would like to thank you,
1: Dr. Thanks, Handler, Andy. for thank you so chatting much. with me on Health Chat. It's so, been so fun. And I did want to mention. Oh yeah, okay, I want to do a little tips, recap. Re, yes, a little um, update. Or I just want to say, for the first Health Chat we did on flu shots, there were two points that I made that I wanted to uh, re restate. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So there was the first thing was. I misspoke when I said that the H1N1 virus was only four or five years ago. That actually was in 2009 to 2010. That's how much time has elapsed. I didn't didn't realize that it was that much time. And I did look up that after the fact that it was actually more like 10 years ago that we started to be able to immunize against H1N1. The second thing was, what's the proper age to start flu shots? And it is six months or older, and I, I wasn't sure about my okay. advice, but now I'm sure because it is six months or older.
0: Okay. So if, if you have a child that's around six months, they can, they can, um, uh, talk to your, you can talk to your pediatrician and maybe get the flu shot for them. That's good. I, I actually have an update on this topic because when we did our our show, um, I was not aware that there was a egg free alternative, and I learned here on our help chat so that great. there was. And I actually there read, I saved I got, your life. You did. <laughs> you totally did. I got a my first flu shot in my
1: life, and you were fine. Right? And I was
0: totally fine. I didn't even have. I mean, it was a little bit sore, but I didn't even have the soreness that some people talk about. I had absolutely no. Side effects, nothing. I just went about my day like nothing had happened. So great. So cool. The only thing I had to do was sit in my allergist's office for 20 minutes
1: because they want to make sure I don't have a reaction to it. Absolutely, and you may not have to ever do that again. No, I can just go to
0: my regular doctor now. Perfect, so So glad. And I'm going to get it in October this yes, year yes I'm and not
1: gonna do, wait and we actually didn't state that that it's really important to get it I think I did yeah state you said that. no you did I did state that uh-huh. my diabetics especially but all people the virus they should really get it by November 1st so that you have a head start against the virus when it starts coming yeah. in December which we're now in full-blown flu season yeah and right it's now. and it's it's bad it's bad yeah. you know but we so. do continue to immunize through April just to let people okay, know. okay
0: yeah keep I just I just it's you know, it's the end of January, and I just got mine, so. so there you go. There so you So you'll
1: get at least three months more.
0: Yay, yay. Well, thank you, Dr. Handler. Thank you, Mandy. Yay, this has um, been Health Chat, and we're going to come at you every month um, with new topics, new and exciting topics, if you're interested in. In um,
1: and maybe send us some questions. And sending us some questions, or you're in, you're
0: interested in a particular topic, then I'm going to open up a Facebook page called Health Chat, and you can go there and post something, and we would love to hear from you. So from Andy Friedman
1: and Alyssa Handler, MD, take care.